July 20 edition of PFTOT, just five days away from the return of PFT Live after five long weeks. And good news for our friends who enjoy the program on Sky Sports. I've already received a screenshot of the schedule for Monday, 7 o'clock your time. Not sure which of the various Sky offerings will be on, but we will be there. 7 o'clock, prime time, Monday night. Tune in or record the return of PFT Live. PFTOT continues. Got some topics I want to get to today before I answer some of your questions. I want to start with former Saints coach, now Fox analyst Sean Payton, telling Jared Bell of USA Today, basically, I'm going to coach again. And that's not a surprise. I expect him to be back in 2023. The question is where? Now, he pointed out that there are usually about six openings every year. This past year, there were more. And he mentioned there are several factors to be considered. Here's the thing to remember. And I don't think that I'm saying anything that we don't already know if we pay close attention to how the sausage gets made. But the reality is this. Every owner out there now knows Sean Payton as in play, is in play. If they didn't already know it, they know now he's in play for next year. They should have known if they were paying attention by virtue of the fact that he nearly landed in Miami this year. But for the Brian Flores lawsuit, it would have been Sean Payton and Tom Brady together in Miami. So Payton is in play. If you're a team that is progressing through the 2022 season, and maybe it's not going the way that you had hoped. And look, in these weeks of everyone being zero and zero, it's easy for all 32 teams to sell the idea that the glass is half full. At some point, the glass is going to start to drain. You can't have good teams without bad teams. We get on the other side of Halloween, you're going to have some owners that start thinking about their options. And the traditional approach is, I'm not happy with my current coach. When the season's over, I'm going to fire him, and then I'm going to embark on a full and complete search to find the best candidate to take over the franchise moving forward. This is one of the things the league has been encouraging teams to do in order to comply with the letter and the spirit of the Rooney Rule. Don't decide who your next coach is going to be until you've done your proper search. The problem is sometimes a team isn't even going to fire the coach they have, isn't going to give up the burden in the hand unless the owner knows that an upgrade is possible. You don't want to be in a situation where you fire somebody who was pretty good and then you have a hard time finding somebody else that you think is going to be better. That's just the way that ownership thinks. And We've talked about this before, the fact that they're billionaires and they've been highly successful and they're used to getting their way. They want to do things the way they want to do things. So now that we know Sean Payton's in play, that becomes an option for one of these teams whose owner says, I'm not really happy with where we are. Can we do better? And there's one shot to get Sean Payton. Anybody out there that has ever thought about hiring Sean Payton, all those years he stayed with the Saints. Remember, it was every year, Sunday Splash Reports, a coin that he termed, or a term that he coined, one of the two is right. It was every year, and he always stayed. But the reality is, there was always a thought that maybe one of these days he'd be in play somewhere else. He's keenly aware, as is anyone who's won a Super Bowl with one team, that no one's ever won a Super Bowl with two teams. So now we know. Doesn't matter that the jobs aren't open. 
doesn't matter that the teams have coaches. We all know. And that's an important factor because by the time the coach of the team that's eventually going to hire Sean Payton is fired, it already will have been set up behind the scenes. Everything will be in place. Trade with the Saints, contract with Payton, it all gets set up ahead of time in a way that violates multiple rules. Rooney rule, tampering rule, doesn't matter. That's how it works. Look, January 2019 is explained in Playmakers. It was basically a day away from initiating the process of the Cowboys moving on from Jason Garrett, conducting a search that would have looked like a real and inclusive and, and compliant process, and then ultimately trading as a practical matter with the Saints for Sean Payton. It was ready to happen earlier this year before the Flores lawsuit. Brady becomes a minority owner of the Dolphins. Saints trade for Sean Payton. Sean Payton's rights at that point because he already resigned from New Orleans. And then Brady moves down from the ownership suite to the field, works out a deal with the Bucks, plays for the Dolphins. That all was going to be worked out ahead of time. It was just a matter of it playing out. So that's what we need to keep in mind. We get to the end of the season and jobs start popping up. Unless somebody is a little too indiscreet about what's happening and you have to be careful because if you talk about it too much and the league catches wind of it, if they decide this is the one case where they are going to enforce the tampering rules, because they do it like once every five or six years, just randomly. The last time that I think the rules were enforced happened against the Chiefs maybe six years ago. You still have to be careful. You can't be too blatant about it and force the league to do something. But once the jobs start opening up, Peyton and his next employer, will already know where this is heading. The Saints will already know what they're getting. That'll already be taken care of quietly and privately behind the scenes. So that's the thing to keep in mind. The news that six, seven, eight jobs are open, that isn't the start of the process. That's the beginning of the end. That's when things are getting put formally in motion, informally, everything already set up. So keep that in mind as the season unfolds, because especially the teams that underachieve relative to their expectations, whether it's the Cowboys, who clearly will be in play for Sean Payton. I know Jerry Jones doesn't want to talk about that because he doesn't want to distract Mike McCarthy because they think they have a chance to put a team together that gets to a Super Bowl. But as I've said before, I think anything less than an NFC championship game appearance puts McCarthy at risk of being supplanted by Sean Payton. The Chargers and the Dolphins were mentioned last week by Barry Jackson, the Miami Herald. If they have a disappointing year, there's going to be somebody out there who performs poorly relative to these, and, and there are varying expectations. It's not like the Texans are viewed as a playoff team. It's not like we're going to say, oh, the Steelers are an odds-on favorite to get to the Super Bowl, not the Steelers would move on from Mike Tomlin. My point is there are loose expectations for every, every team out there. And there will be teams that fall full, far short of what those loose expectations entering training camp and the regular season are. We'll know by the time we get to November. And that's probably when it will start happening behind the scenes. And if the folks behind the scenes are smart, we won't know about it. My point is this, by the time the pieces start moving, the reality is, they already know where the pieces are going to go. And somebody, it will be a surprise if this doesn't happen. Somebody will end up with Sean Payton as their head coach 
come late January, if not earlier, of 2023. I wrote something about this earlier today, and I continue to be astounded by the fact that four weeks ago today, the House Oversight Committee said, we will issue a subpoena to Commander's owner, Daniel Snyder. Four weeks ago, no subpoena issued, no subpoena served. He's been out of the country. By all appearances, he's been out of the country for each of the last four weeks nonstop. Hasn't come back. If he did, maybe he'd mount Maybe he slipped in quietly and they didn't know, but they haven't been able to get him served. And his lawyer refuses to accept service. And the Dan Snyder's yacht account on Twitter, tracking the whereabouts, not just of his yacht, but of his two jets and it really is astounding to me that this has lasted four weeks. It's been a full week since there's been any tangible development. There were letter writing campaigns and they agreed to a date next Thursday, eight days away, July 28th for the testimony. But there's this lingering fight over whether or not he's testifying subject to subpoena or not. His lawyer refuses to accept service of the subpoena on his behalf. So if he testifies, he won't be under subpoena. And as we said before, that allows him to say, I can't answer any questions about potential transactions with former employees that are subject to a non-disclosure agreement. Subpoena, yes. Without subpoena, can't talk about it. Can't be forced to talk about it. So we'll see what happens. August 13 is the preseason home opener for the commanders. September 11 is the regular season opener for the commanders. If he continues to keep the yacht and the jets at sea, or in other countries for the next four weeks, five weeks, four months. Maybe is maybe I, I've seen and heard nothing over the course of the last week that makes me think he's committed to anything other than staying away as long as he can until Congress just gives up because nothing good happens to him if he shows up and testifies under subpoena. No good outcome happens for Daniel Snyder. His best outcome is to continue to hunker down, avoid the subpoena, and never testify. And the league's complicit in this. As I've said time and again, they're afraid of him. They're afraid of him. And Congress apparently doesn't know what to do at this point. I don't think they want to come out and say, hey, as long as he stays out of the country, there isn't a damn thing we do. We don't have the power. You may think we have the power. We don't. They don't want to come out and say that. And the media and the fans, what more can we say other than he has not yet been subpoenaed? He has not yet been subpoenaed. And to conclude this point, he has not yet been subpoenaed. I'm watching and waiting for the decision from Judge Sue L. Robinson in the Deshaun Watson case. It could be Friday afternoon. If she's on board with the NFL's whole late Friday afternoon, bad news dump approach, especially in the summer. It doesn't have to be late. It's a little too conspicuous if it's 4.55 p.m. Eastern time. We learned about the Texans settlement with 30 different accusers last Friday afternoon, late morning, early afternoon. I think the window opens around 11 o'clock on Friday, 11 o'clock in the East, through the end of the day. If Judge Robinson gets it, and, and it could be that both sides want it this way, the league and the union may prefer. Maybe they've jointly communicated to her. Whenever you do issue a decision, here's when we'd like it to come out, please, if you will do that very much kindly. If not Friday, next week. It's got to be next week. 
the Browns go to camp. The Browns have to know what's going on. And I know shed no tears for the Browns. They're the ones who did this transaction. But at some point, we just have to know, especially since there's a possibility for an appeal on the back end. This could take even longer, another couple of weeks beyond whenever she issues a decision. So remember, no appeal can happen if she issues no discipline whatsoever. But if there's any discipline, it goes to Roger Goodell or his designee. And as I read the personal conduct policy, he can do whatever he wants by way of changing the penalty. He can't have another hearing. He can't bring in new evidence. He's stuck with whatever findings of fact she makes. But, but he can say, and I see nothing in there that prevents this. Judge Robinson, you said four games. We think it should be far more significant than that. We think it should be a full season. We think it should be whatever we want it to be. I see nothing in the policy that keeps the commissioner or his designee, which is basically someone who will do whatever the commissioner wants as a practical matter, nothing that limits them from saying four, nah, 17, two, nah, 12, six, nah, 60. There's nothing in there that keeps them from doing whatever they want with or without the prospect of the potential litigation that supposedly will be filed if it's a year or longer. Because again, these are negotiated dispute resolution procedures. The union agreed to this. They made a big deal about having an external person involved. That's fine. But when you read the policy, the external person should have been after Goodell, not before. Goodell still has final say. He still does what he wants to do. And we'll see. We'll see how that goes, if that goes. For now, we wait for Judge Robinson's decision. I'm going to throw a dart and say that we're going to have it Friday afternoon. Sometime on Friday afternoon. If not, then then maybe on Monday. When are we going to have resolution to the Jimmy Garoppolo situation? I thought it was astounding last night that Ian Rappaport of NFL Media reported that Garoppolo is expected to be fully cleared by the middle of August. Middle of August is start of the preseason. Middle of August is two, three weeks into training camp. Time is of the essence for Jimmy Garoppolo. He needs to land with a new team. He needs to get to practice. He needs to get himself ready. He needs to do what he has to do to win the starting job wherever he lands, or this is a lost season for Jimmy G, unless he ends up being backup who gets promoted into the starting job because the starter stinks, and we know that happens every year, and any team that struggles is going to be thinking who else could play quarterback other than the guy who's out there. But this delayed clearance, I think people thought, especially since we saw that he's been throwing, people thought he would get clearance before then. And we've talked about this in other contexts, but it's the team doctors who decide when a guy can pass a physical. And whether or not a guy passes a physical is a fairly subjective determination. Do the 49ers want to try to shop him while withholding clearance so he can't start jostling to be released or traded? And, and really, even if the 49ers wouldn't give him full clearance now, somebody else may. I just think there are a lot more layers and levels to this. And the problem is the Browns got a fifth-round pick for Baker Mayfield that can become a fourth-rounder. And Mayfield got $5 million from his new team. Yes, $10 million from his old team and the ability to make $3.5 million back in incentives. The incentives came out yesterday. They got to win the Super Bowl in part, among other things, for him to get all of the money. But th this, this only works out well for Garoppolo and the 49ers 
if we have another Teddy Bridgewater situation where Garoppolo's healthy, he's ready to go, and a team has a fluke freak accident to a quarterback who is the starter, and he's gone, and then the team slips into, oh, crap, what do we do now mode, like the Vikings were in late August and early September of 2016. That's when the Eagles, who sold everyone on the idea that Sam Bradford was the quarterback that year, not Carson Wentz in his rookie season, that's when the Eagles got a one and a four for Sam Bradford from the Vikings. I just think that's a lot to hope for. And I know it's possible, but, but think about how training camp and preseason goes now, especially with only three preseason games. How much do we see of starting quarterbacks in the preseason? Not as much as we used to. And in training camp, in any practice, it's red jersey time. Now, accidents can happen. Freak things can happen. I remember a year, maybe nine, 10 years ago, maybe eight joint practices between the Buccaneers and the Patriots. I think it was Adrian Claiborne came around the edge and hit Tom Brady low. And there was a couple of hours where we're thinking, "Uh uh-oh, that ACL that had been repaired five, six years earlier is busted again. There was real concern about that, but it doesn't happen very often. Not saying it won't. I just think it's a lot to bank on. If you're the 49ers and Jimmy Garoppolo, You need to have a better plan than we're just going to sit here and wait and see if there's an injury. But if there is that injury, 49ers end up getting second round pick, maybe more. And Garoppolo maybe ends up getting his full $24, $25 million. So bottom line is it's a big, ugly mess. I think the 49ers are determined. They're stubborn. They're focused on trying to get something for Jimmy Garoppolo. And this is going to continue into August. I thought it might come to a head before camp starts. And maybe Garoppolo will decide to break character and not be the nice guy and come out and say, I've done everything that's expected of me. You've decided to move on to Trey Lance. I'd like to move on. Please release me. Maybe he'll do that. It doesn't seem to be in his nature, but maybe he'll do that because the clock is ticking on him to land somewhere else and have that opportunity to become a starting quarterback in 2022, or at least compete for the job because if it doesn't happen if this ends up being a lost year you know what occurs he becomes a free agent in march he signs with a team that needs a quarterback and then he has to wait six or seven weeks to see whether or not that team drafts a guy it's the mitch trubisky phenomenon hey i'm the starter until i have to worry about being supplanted by a rookie and even if i'm the wire to wire starter in that guy's rookie year it's 2021 all over again for jimmy garoppolo with the youngster behind him, with the guy getting all the hype, an awkward situation, a situation, as Garoppolo told Adam Shine earlier this year, he wouldn't wish on anyone. So look, hey, shed no tears for Garoppolo. He's been around, this is year nine for him. He's made a good bit of money from the 49ers, but this is just a bad situation for everyone. And the sooner he gets out, the sooner he moves on with his career and has a chance to earn playing time somewhere else. All right, let's take a look at the questions. I noticed a few good ones. I scrolled through them and hopefully I I stop on the good ones uh, that stood out to me. PFT PM Posse, would Jerry or Stephen Jones truly give final say over the roster to bring in Sean Payton like they did once upon a time with Bill Parcells, especially since they aren't currently trying to get public financing for a new stadium. Look, What they've done in Dallas over the past 30 years, it started with Jimmy Johnson having, as a practical matter, control over the football operation. They won their two Super Bowls with Johnson. They ran him off, and the team was so good they were able to win a Super Bowl without Jimmy Johnson, with Barry Switzer as the head coach. Then Jerry, and I'm just going to put 
the entire family operation under Jerry's umbrella. Jerry decided he could be the one who builds the team. He wanted to build the championship team rather than ride sidecar to Jimmy Johnson. So they go through that process, 96, 97, 98, 99. They get into the early part of the next decade and it bottoms out. And that's when he goes on bended knee to Bill Parcells and gives him the keys to the car. So Parcells comes in, builds a team that becomes a contender. But then four or five years later, Parcells is out and Jerry decides, I'm going to go back to being in charge of the team. I want to be responsible for the building of a championship team. And since then, they've, they've managed to show that they've figured out over three decades how to go about getting the right players, resisting the temptation to draft Johnny Manziel in 2014 and taking Zach Martin instead. One of the smartest decisions that team has ever made and other decisions along those lines have put them in a position where their team is relevant. But are they good enough? And hey, look, if they were going to hire Sean Payton in 2019, they already have an understanding as to how the personnel is going to work. Whether Sean Payton has final say or doesn't have final say, are they going to listen to him or are they not going to listen to him? How does it all work? How does it all fit? The fact that Payton was ready to make the plunge three years ago tells you whatever they need to do, however it needs to work, they're comfortable working with Sean Payton. And I would continue to put them at the top of the list, especially because Jerry knows if I'm ever going to get this guy, this is it. And if I don't get him, I got to worry about somebody else getting him. Somebody I compete with may end up getting him. That's a problem for the Cowboys. So I think it'll work out. Whatever the details, whatever's in writing, whatever happens as a practical matter, when it's time to figure out who to keep, who to cut, who to trade for, who to extend, how to build your team, I think they'll have that worked out. Good question from Corey Joskowitz. You've referenced both on the show and in your book about the NFL needing to be more proactive with officiating, gambling, and information security to avoid class action lawsuits and potential governmental intervention. How would this initiate? Joe Schmo going to his lawyer and more people joining. Look, it's, it's simpler than that. You don't need more people joining. And I'm surprised it hadn't happened. Let me give you this example. The allegation that Stephen Ross, the owner of the Dolphins, offered former head coach Brian Flores $100,000 per loss during a 2019 season when Ross wanted to tank so he could get the first overall pick and draft Joe Burrow. That's the theory. That's the idea. That's the allegation. Now, the NFL's investigation is still pending, and I think the NFL is not going to come to a conclusion that would bolster Brian Flores' lawsuit. If you come out and say, hey, he's right, you make his lawsuit, the one that they said initially is without merit and have reiterated that more recently, the lawsuit has no merit, you give it merit. If you say, hey, you know, the guy's got a point here. We disagree with his position. We think he's wrong about everything. We think the case is borderline frivolous. But you know, when he says Ross offered him $100,000, got a point there. So wherever that lands, there's already enough chum in the water for the sharks to show up. And all it takes is one person. Now, back in 2019, I think there were maybe six or seven states that had legalized sports betting. But what you could do, you find somebody who wagered on the Dolphins, assuming they were trying to win or cover or whatever, made a wager on the Dolphins that went sideways, and you argue they weren't really trying to win the game. They weren't trying to cover the spread. It corrupts the process. So... You file a class action on behalf of everyone out there who bet on the Dolphins 
to either win the game on a money line wager or to cover on a point spread or to make it to the playoffs or not make the playoffs. Any Dolphins related wager premised on the Dolphins actually trying to win. And I assume now, look, I, I generally assume that electronic information is widely available because digital systems are premised on saving, not deleting information. Apparently that may not be the case based upon some non-football related news that's out there currently, but, but I digress. At the risk of digressing any further, I'll just say, I assume that it would be fairly easy to recreate the bets that were made on the Dolphins, money line or against the spread. There's your class action. And you don't need to go out and sign up all the people. Anyone who bet on the Dolphins under the assumption they were trying to win becomes part of the class action. And I thought a lawsuit would come fairly quickly. Again, I'm surprised it hasn't happened yet. Still could, but that's how it would work. If there's some big scandal, whether it's bad officiating, whether it's an argument that there's some sort of officiating controversy where someone's on the take, whatever it may be, it's just a matter of finding one person who made a wager, assuming that everything was on the up and up. That person becomes the class representative. You file the lawsuit and off you go. And that's separate and apart from the possibility of Congress getting involved, of an agency being created. As I've said before, the Securities and Exchange Commission didn't appear until five years after the stock market crash of 1929. It takes a bad event to spawn more regulation or plenty of prosecutors out there with broad discretion who can be looking around for corruption that could be happening with teams, with the league, with officiating. But class action lawsuit, very easy. And we've seen frivolous class, and I don't like to use the word frivolous, frivolously. Any frivolous lawsuit is a lawsuit filed against you. But there have been some borderline frivolous class actions we've seen for all sorts of things over the years. So it just doesn't take much to get it started. And again, I'm surprised. It hasn't already happened as it relates to the allegations involving Dolphins owner Stephen Ross. Neil watches PFT. Why don't more players renegotiate their contracts after year three? Ones that I can think of that should. We know about Debo and Kyler, DK Metcalf, Josh Allen, the defensive end, Josh Jacobs, Devin White, Deontay Johnson. Well, I mean, look, Josh, Josh Jacobs, they're not giving him another penny in Las Vegas. They're done with him. They didn't pick up his option. He's not going to fit with the new approach to the running back position there. But as look, I, I remember interviewing the commissioner 2010 for the one and only PFT season preview magazine. We did it one time, one time, and that's it. That was when the league wanted the rookie wage scale. They wanted to prevent a situation where a Ryan Leaf or a Jamarcus Russell makes millions and never earns it. And I, I spoke about this very recently here. That's fine, but what about the guy that earns it, who's denied the money he should have gotten because he has played well enough to get it? And Goodell told me at the time, basically, we trust that the teams will take care of that. Well, the NFL took care of it because what they did in that same CBA, they adjusted the commencement of the ability to negotiate a second contract from after two years to after three years. So for the first three years, there's not, nothing can be done. Guy could have the best three seasons ever for any player at his position. And he can't get a raise until his third regular season ends, period. 
So we've seen some, some teams swoop in and get a deal done with a guy after three years. For first rounders, you have a little more time because you've got the fifth year option. But the teams that are committed to treating their guys the right way will do it. And yes, there are devices available for the players to apply pressure. Sometimes they do, sometimes they don't. Holdouts, hold-ins, whatever the case may be, asking to be traded. But you know, the bottom line is, when you get a guy in the draft who ends up being a great player, I think for the teams that are treating their players the right way, that are properly rewarding the men who become the best of the best on their roster, it's in their own best interest to pay those guys quickly. So everyone knows we take care of our own. Everyone knows if you come here and you play at a very high level, higher than anybody thought, especially if it's a second, third, fourth round pick who becomes a star, or if you just live up to your potential, like a Nick Bosa. Right now they got Nick Bosa and Debo Samuel. Both guys have earned second contracts. Neither guy has gotten one yet. That to me is wrong. Because I think the teams that have a guy who's gotten it done for three years, who didn't get paid huge money on the way in, who has outperformed everything that he has been compensated with, needs that content. It's just a powerful message. And I keep waiting for a player who's on a playoff team, who finishes his third regular season, and who says to the team, I want my contract now, not after the playoff run, because I'm still incurring the risk. The window's now open. Let's go ahead and get everything lined up so the day after our regular season ends in my third year in the NFL, I get my contract. That's the perfect way to do it. That's the ideal way to do it from the perspective of teams that really want to take care of their best players. I'll leave it to you to decide whether the teams really do want to take care of their best players or whether the teams want to take care of themselves and use every potential angle available to them under the CBA for their own benefit, even if it's to the detriment of players who continue to perform while carrying injury risk, while continuing to be underpaid. Oh, contract's a contract, baloney. The players have options under the CBA, and I fully encourage them to take advantage of them. Another one from Neil Watch's PFT, reacting to my tweet from yesterday about live golf and how Charles Barkley throws out the idea, hey, if they're going to give me $200 million, I'll quit everything and I'll go be a commentator for the live golf tour. I mean, they're buying up everyone money flowing everywhere. All traces back apparently to Saudi Arabia. And I raised the question of when's there going to be a live football and look, I mean, I've, I said it more jokingly than seriously, but let's consider the reality of a couple of things. First, the public has an insatiable appetite for football. Now we prefer NFL football, and it would be very difficult to set up an in-season competitor to the NFL. Very difficult, especially because any company that would do business with an in-season competitor, any broadcast company, would probably seal its own fate to ever be in business with the NFL ever again. You have to be ready to burn that bridge, to blow that bridge into complete and total smithereens if you're going to do business with some competitor for the NFL. But... I mean, competition is part of American life. Everybody has to deal with competitors. The NFL doesn't. They dealt with the USFL and what happened? They got sued and the verdict was $1 at the end of the day. So could someone with unlimited resources who can't buy an NFL team? Because I doubt that 
the NFL is going to decide to start selling to foreign interests. That's just not something the NFL is inclined to do unless a team is going to be in that foreign country. But what if gigantic oil money from Saudi Arabia says, hey, how much can it really cost? We go out and buy up the best players. Like the USFL initially did when it was a spring league, it was still paying the kind of money that attracted NFL talent. The WFL back in the 70s, paying big money to attract NFL talent. That's the last team that really tried to do a head-to-head competition with the NFL, other than the USFL, which was spring, spring, spring until they moved to the fall and it all fell apart. My point is this. You think about the money that's available, broadcasting, gambling. See, the legalization of sports wagering creates, I think, an opportunity to have more football, more sports, more things on which people can bet. Now, is that the best way to do things? That's not for me to decide. But the point is, especially if the technology improves and you can bet during games, more football means more opportunities for people to bet, means more opportunities for the house to win. Because at the end of the day, if they're setting the odds right, the house always wins. So would it be crazy to think that live golf would become live football? Is that crazy? I don't think it's crazy. I think it's crazy that no one has tried. That no one who's got money to burn has tried to create a competitive league that would come in and pay guys a crap load of money to defect from the NFL. And I know that, look, would that be good for the NFL? No. Would it be good for NFL fans? No. But we're all about competition. And that's what the PGA is currently dealing with. And the PGA has gotten itself in hot water because it is engaged potentially, allegedly, possibly in anti-competitive practices with the threats that are being made. See, when, when competition shows up, you got to behave a certain way or do you get yourself into an antitrust situation? That's what happened with the USFL and the NFL. The NFL is not going to go away quietly and they may play dirty to try to fight back any challenges that may be out there. But if I'm the NFL... And I see what's happening with live golf. I at least game out the possibilities of what would happen and how we would properly handle a threat from somebody out there with a ton of money who decides to try to carve out a little piece of the turf and to take away some of the best players in the National Football League. I don't think it's as crazy as it sounds, especially as we see it play out in golf. Neil watches PFT. What do you think of the Panthers' new helmets? 60% of the time, they work every time. Hey, look, and this, this dovetails with a question that Paul Silva asked. What other teams need to bring in alternative or throwback uniforms? As a Vikings fan, I want to see the old school purple people eaters uniforms and helmets. I think the fact that the NFL has brought back the rule allowing teams to have two helmets, not limiting to one, I think that makes it incumbent on every team to have a second helmet. If you've been around long enough to have a throwback, get the throwback. If you haven't been around long enough to have a throwback, like the Texans with their red helmets or the Panthers with their black helmets, then just get a different helmet. But do it. Why wouldn't you do it? I, 
I know I, you know, there's going to be some get off my lawn folks that want to turn on the TV and see the same uniforms all the time, but, but, but do it a couple games out of a year. You sell those helmets, create some excitement, create some buzz for that game. I mean, the giants are putting back their old uniforms with the old giants helmet and the old giants look from the eighties against the bears and Washington this year, a couple of games. You otherwise look at it and say, well, I don't want to drag my ass to the stadium that day. Well, now you get to be there the day that, they have the old 80s uniforms. So I just think it makes sense for every team to take full advantage of the opportunity to use that second helmet, have that second uniform, sell jerseys, sell helmets, and get people excited. I mean, it's an entertainment business, and that's part of the overall entertainment. Eric and Teddy, a.k.a. Pauline, do you think Bill Belichick will ever win another Super Bowl? How will the Patriots do this year? Two questions. And I think they can be good and not be a Super Bowl team, and maybe he won't win another Super Bowl. I don't know. I don't know. You have to look at where they are right now. They, they think that they can turn Mac Jones into their next franchise quarterback, but even then, will they have enough pieces around him to win a Super Bowl? And I think the coaching staff is a big part of it. They're going to miss Josh McDaniels. At last word, Matt Patricia potentially is going to call offensive plays. Okay. Now, look, Bill Belichick has morphed from defensive guy into a football coach who can do it all. Maybe Patricia is next. Maybe this is part of grooming Patricia someday to take over for Bill Belichick. But the AFC is uh, a meat grinder this year. 13 contenders, as I see it. It's not going to be easy for the Patriots. It's not going to be easy with this transition in the coaching staff. And the point that I've made before, and I'll reiterate again here, having your kids on the coaching staff creates problems. When you get blown off the field by the Bills, when you give up 47 points in a playoff game, and maybe you need to make big changes, in the defensive coaching staff, and you can't because you're not going to fire your kid. And if you're not going to fire your kid, how can you fire anybody else who's working on the defensive coaching staff? I still think that's one of the reasons why the job duties are so deliberately vague right now. We don't know who to blame for any problems with coaching because we really don't know who's doing what. Now, as the season approaches and unfolds, we'll have a better idea. But I, I think that this, this reality of nepotism in coaching. If the coach's kids aren't as good as they need to be, what do you do? You can't fire them. And then it's a ridiculous double standard. It's hypocritical if you start firing others. And uh, it just puts more pressure on Bill Belichick to do what he has to do to get it done. Now, will he ever be on the hot seat? Look, we, we've heard Robert Kraft bemoan the fact that the team hasn't won a playoff game in three years. And six Super Bowl wins probably gives a guy a little more leeway than he otherwise would have. But I don't know. How many years without a playoff win will be too many before the Patriots decide that it's time to end one era and move on to the next one? I don't know. But as Tom Brady keeps winning Super Bowls without Bill Belichick, that puts more pressure on Belichick to find a way back to the Super Bowl and back to the podium, holding up the trophy to cap a season. Let's see what else we have here. I'm running out of time. Uh, let's see. Some good questions here that, that I, I, uh, I just need to pass on because I don't have, as I said, at the risk of repeating myself, as I buy time, as I look at these questions, I don't have a whole lot of time. Um, all right, all right. I, there was a couple more that I saw that, Oh, here we go. Bill's blog. Why doesn't the league have two bye weeks? It helps the players rest more, expands the season another week, dilutes the amount of games that are on at 1 p.m. every week. What is the argument against it? They did it in 1993. For the 16-game season, 
two bye weeks. The networks didn't like it because it did reduce the total number of games. It made for a greater chance of just not compelling weekends, not compelling primetime games, not compelling Sunday games. I think that as the league expands, and in 1993, there were 26 teams. Now you've got 32. It could be easier to give every team a second week off. It could be an easier sell to the networks. And as I think the league continues this trend toward getting away from having so many games happen all at once and have fewer games, especially as in-game betting eventually proliferates, all the more reason to have more time slots, more weekends, more primetime games, Sunday night, Monday night, Thursday night, other nights of the week maybe, fewer games at 1 o'clock Eastern, more opportunities for people to gravitate around one or two games at the most at the same time. I think there will be a time where that second bye week makes sense. Look, the, the ultimate end result that probably won't happen in my lifetime, I would envision this. 20 games in the regular season, no preseason games, because it's been 20 games forever. It used to be six, 16 and four. Before that, it was six preseason games and 14 regular season games. Now it's 17 and three. They'd like to get to 18 and two. I think one of these days, it's going to be 20 and zero. And you're going to have 40 teams. Is that the high end? Eventually 40 teams. Again, not in my lifetime, but I think that that's the end result. Expanded playoffs, maybe even another weekend of playoffs. I was thinking about this last night. You can have 40 teams and put 20 teams in the playoffs. And what you would do, the first 12 would get a bye, and then the, the last eight would whittle down to four more to get to 16. And then you go 16, 8, 4, 2. You'd have five weeks of the postseason. You could have 22 weeks of regular season action. You could have football for 27 weeks out of the year, 28 when you include the bye between the conference championship games and the Super Bowl, 28 weeks of the year. And every week, more opportunities to gamble, more opportunities for the sports books to make money, more opportunities for the NFL to make some of that money, more opportunities to put games on TV that people watch. Yeah, two buys would be part of that. If you have 20 games with two buys, that's how you get to 22. You throw in the five postseason games. It may take 50 years to get there, but I think that's a chance where the NFL is going to end up. One more from Tommy Caruso. Carl Nassib was a good player for the Raiders last season. Will he find a new home soon or are teams too afraid to sign him? You know, I had seen some noise in recent days pointing out that Carl Nassib remains unsigned. He was on Good Morning America recently. Is that a coincidence or not? I don't know. He made it clear he wants to still play. It, there's a chance he's at a point in his career where he's not just going to accept minimum salary opportunity. He made good money the past couple of years from the Raiders. I think it's about 17 million. He made the last two years. He can afford to wait for something better than league minimum. And I think for a lot of players, you get to a point where you just decide it's not worth it for me to do all the stuff I have to do to play football. If I'm just going to get another million dollars this year, I've already got enough in the bank where I don't need to worry about that. I'll wait for a better opportunity. That may be part of it, but I think it would be naive to assume that there isn't some coach out there, some owner out there that 
would, would pause. Distraction. Even though Carl Nassib, after he came out last year, was not a distraction at all. It was a non-issue for the Raiders, and that was encouraging. And as Nassib said this week, we hope to get to the point where people can just be, let people be who they are. Don't stigmatize. Let people be who they are. How does it affect any of us if everyone else can just be who they are? I don't know. Maybe it's unrealistic. It should be simple. But the reality is you got plenty of coaches, plenty of owners, plenty of GMs. I don't know how many, but enough that for them, maybe it's a factor. Distraction. Distraction. The word that gets used as the replacement for, I just really don't want this guy on my team. So I don't know of anyone who is not considering Carl Nassib because he's openly gay, but it's not like they're going to come out and say it. Are they going to tell us? They're not stupid. They may be horribly misguided, but they're not stupid. So we'll see how it goes. I expect he'll get an opportunity at some point. And I have a feeling that if he wanted to be on a team right now, he could be but that we're not talking about a range of compensation that makes it worth his while to go join a team. But we'll, we'll see what happens there. Let's go ahead and end it for today. Three for three. Two more days left of PFTOT before we're back next Monday with PFT Live. Thanks, as always, for some of your time. Check us out around the clock at ProFootball.com. 